Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. Today, it's definitely rock and roll or maybe heavy metal because this episode has been almost three years in the making. I've been working on landing this legendary rock and roll pioneer since I first started doing Talk is Jericho. And finally, the day has arrived. The day that never comes has come. He's here. Lars Ulrich of Metallica is joining us today on Talk is Jericho. Definitely the biggest uh, rock star I've had on this show. And I guarantee this conversation was worth the wait. We're talking about Hardwired to Self-Destruct, the band's new record. Uh, all of the ti- trials and tribulations behind writing the new songs and recording the new tunes. We're talking about Cliff Burton, the legendary Cliff Burton. One of my biggest heroes in rock and roll. A little bit about his personality, some great stories about Cliff. Metallica's chemistry how they've managed to stay together, how Lars and James have managed not to kill each other, their songwriting process, Lars's drumming style, how I feel he's the Ringo star of heavy metal, the early days of Metallica. And if you're looking for new bands and new music, Lars is a walking, talking Wikipedia of factual information and trivia on the new wave of British heavy metal, the most obscure metal bands you've ever heard of. Uh, we're going to listen to some uh, new wave of British heavy metal songs, and Lars is going to give us a, a rundown on these bands. that I guarantee you've never heard of them. I've never heard of them. You also get some great tips on some of his fave obscure bands, who to check out. And of course, you might even hear him sing a few bars. It's a Metallica interview, unlike like any other did you expect anything else Lars on talk is Jericho and we're going to jump into the fire right away but first we're going to jump start your fitness plans for 2017 I know it's one of the most popular New Year's resolutions eat better get in shape go to the gym it's something that Lars and Metallica are paying more attention to as well now which you're going to hear all about but that's why you need to jump on the DDPY program now okay listen it's not the New Year's yet it's getting close why wait for your New Year's resolution start now because it's your opportunity to take advantage of a truly great deal that Diamond Dallas Page is offering this holiday season. Dallas loves Christmas, and that's why he's offering this crazy deal. All DDPY merch is 25% off. And get this, and when you buy a max pack or a combo pack at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho, you'll get a second one for 50% off of the price that was already 25% off. Okay, does that make sense? And yes, when you buy the DDPY DVDs, you'll also get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. And believe me, that's the way I do my DDP Yoga Now. You know what DDPY has done for me and what it's done for Jake the Snake, Robert, Scott Hall, Mick Foley, Corey Taylor, Rich Ward. They're all doing the DDPY program. I might even try and get Lars involved. And with the app, you can do DDPY anytime, anyplace, anywhere, right from your phone or tableta. The app not only lets you do all the workouts right from your phone, it's also got a bunch of other cool features to help you on that path to healthy living, all right? You can use the DDP Yoga Now app to track your heart rate and calories. You can use it for pain tracking, measurements, even progress photos. And DDP Yoga Now app subscribers won't ever get bored doing the same workouts over and over again because DDP has added completely new 2.0 workouts and weekly live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center, all right? And like I said, Dallas's Christmas spirits in full swing. He's offering you this incredible deal on DDPY. Check it out, 25% all DDPY merch and DVDs and if you buy a max pack or a combo pack you'll get a second one for 50% off of the price that was already 25% off okay that ends up being like 75% off okay trust me it's a great great deal courtesy of Santa Claus himself Diamond Dallas Page just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to take advantage of this great deal Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Change your life today. Get in the best physical and mental shape you've ever been in and do it now. 
All right, Talk is Jericho fans, I know you'd love to be the first to know what's up with this podcast, who the guests are on any given show, and when and where the next Talk is Jericho live podcast is going to take place. That's why Podcast One has created a new automated email system to make sure you never miss a single episode, all right? All you got to do is go to www.podcastone.com slash Jericho to sign up. That's podcastone.com slash Jericho to sign up, and then that's all you got to do. We'll do the rest. We'll let you know exactly when a new show is coming out, what it's all about who the guests are the highlights of the show everything at your fingertips just by checking on your emails okay so sign up now at podcast1.com slash jericho and get all the information uh, on talk is jericho to the point to the minute to the second go check it out and do it now talk is jericho Dude, I know, dude, we're here. I can't believe we it. We talked about this for months. Maybe even a year or two or something like that. I remember I had a, a radio show on Nikki Six's channel about three years ago, and we were talking about it. And you're like, yeah, I'll do it when the new record comes out. And I was like, well, maybe like in 2020, 2022, <laughs> something like that. So it finally happened. So yeah, man, uh, yeah, what's new? Anything exciting going on? Oh, no, it's been a nice, quiet <laughs> fall. Uh, it's just been kind of kicking it at home for the last couple of months, doing nothing. You know what I was laughing at is that, you know, hardwired comes out and it's like top three or top five or something like in 105 different countries i can't i can't name (laughs) 30 countries i know it's it's pretty nuts all that stuff i used to be really competitive you know like 20 Mm -hmm. 25 years ago oh my god you know it's like i used to follow all that stuff and super driven now like when i hear stuff like that it's more like disbelief right you kind of sit there and go like that's just so insane. You know, now it's like, wow, it's like people still care. Mm. Can we swear? Yeah. Can we do? So people still give a shit or, you know, that <laughs> the whole thing that, I mean, it's like unbelievable that like 35 years into, I mean, anything really mm-hmm. that people still give a shit. And, and I think that the fact now that, um, you know, you sort of, as you get a little, I mean, you have kids and, and you, you're, you're, you're not quite where I am, but you're behind me, but mm-hmm. close maybe, yeah, yeah, is close. that, um, is that, you know, as you get older, you, you sort of, you just start like slowing down long enough to take it all in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it's not just a statement about Metallica, but it's a statement about hard rock and metal in general that it is awesome for all of us mm-hmm. that there still are people out there that care and that give a shit and support the hard rock metal cause well, when, you know, when called upon. You, you hear know? all the time, you know, rock is dead and you've heard that for the last few years, but this year it's like a lot like, let's say the summer of 91 when you had Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen and Skid Row were all number one on the charts. This summer we had Guns N' Roses doing a stadium tour. Then the biggest band in America that's not Metallica, Avenged Sevenfold, puts out a new record. They're getting ready to roll and then you guys come out. So it actually is a pretty damn good year for heavy rock and yeah. roll. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's... Uh... You know, as much as they all want to try to shove us out to the sidelines mm-hmm. and, and make metal this little niche thing that sort of exists out in disrespect land or whatever, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, it is obviously awesome that people all over the world, and it really feels, at least to me, um, like it's getting more and more of a global thing as mm-hmm. the world gets smaller, as, you know, all forms of communication reaches every corner of this earth, including, you know, what we're doing now, right. that people really are, you know, when I sort of browse through our social media and stuff like that, I mean, we're getting tons of people from all over places that from 10 or 20 years ago that you would never expect. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of love from the Middle East, a lot of love from Asia, a lot of love from all kinds of, you know, places in the Latin world that, you know, maybe, yeah. 
Bolivia or Paraguay or <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right, I mean, yeah. not places that are sort of like on not the, known the normal for the scene. Yeah, you know, and so there's just kids everywhere. And at least in our case, I mean, what's a total mindfuck is the whole kind of um, that somehow um, the fans still remain. You know, there's as many 12-year-olds and as many 15-year-olds as there was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 right. years ago. That's the part that blows my mind. It's not you guys It's the... not just all a bunch of dudes with receding hairlines like <laughs> myself who sort of, you know, joined. <laughs> you know, who've yeah. been with us for 30 years. I mean, there's a lot, uh, just tons of kids that, you know, I'll, I'll like check, we'll do something on Instagram and I'll, I'll check it occasionally and be like, Please come to so and so. I've never seen you play. I'm 14 years old, and seeing Metallica is like my dream come mm-hmm. true. It's like that really still happens. It's so cool. You guys cool. have become an evergreen band, much like the Stones, as we mentioned. Or if you're talking about like, you know, kids will wear a Beatles shirt or, or a Ramones, or there's a lot of like T Rex shirts. I don't think people really know what T Rex yeah. even is. Yeah. You find Metallica's in that category now, along with Guns N' Roses and a couple other bands, to where you guys will be just as relevant 10 years from now as you were 20 years earlier. It's pretty crazy. Who would have thought? I know, right? Who would have thought? That's the one question I'm getting a lot this fall. It's like, a bunch of skids coming you know, in. What there. would you, yeah? What would your 18 year old say to your 52 year old self? I go, fucking, you know, what happened to all the hair, bro? <laughs> uh, and I'd be saying, you know, uh, you know, I mean, but you know, it's everybody's always trying to come up with some strange angle. But you know, the fact that we're all here mm-hmm. and still, and like I said, that the community still gives a shit is really it just feels like it's hitting at a much mm. it resonates much more than it used to because you know back 20 30 years ago we were always in such a hurry it's like you never slowed mm-hmm. slowed down long enough to take the love in you know do you appreciate that more now is what you're saying yeah i mean yeah. definitely i mean i i literally like we were doing uh the, the day hardwire came out uh, a couple two three weeks ago we we're in london and we did an in-store and we haven't done an in-store for a long time i mean it's not we don't do a lot of in-stores <laughs> i mean it's not something that happens a lot and i was just sitting there and I guess, I don't know, what, a couple, two, three hundred kids came through. And, you know, they always want to, like, in these things, it's always about the numbers. Mm. How many people do you get through? It's like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake every fucking hand. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to say hello. And I'm going to have a fucking moment and just appreciate that some person, somebody, a human being came from all over England, came from, they came from Poland. They came from France. They were, like, basically from all over Europe mm-hmm. coming to you know, central London to stand in line for hours to meet our sorry asses and just have a second. You know, it's not just about writing on a record. It's mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. having a moment. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I just took it all in. I just sat there and connected with each one of these people and and had like 30 seconds or whatever. And it just was really cool and just... Yes, you definitely take it much more. And I mean, people, thirty years ago, it was, hey, he's got another beer. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, where's the tits? Yeah, you know, it's like, you don't need that shit signed. You, you, know? you can tell that though. I even I watched some of the stuff when you guys did that uh, uh, record store day thing at Rasputin's, which was probably I'm assuming it was up in the Bay Area, close to where you guys came in the scene. Literally in the backyard, backyard, I mean, ten minutes from where we started. And then after yeah, you yeah. went to where the Metallica house used to be, yeah. and you were talking about how all the yeah. old boys were there, and you know, and mom and Exodus yeah. guys or whatever, dads and stuff. <laughs> But you, that must have been a cool experience to kind of go back to this time zone, time frame, time machine to that 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 point in your life when you were just starting. Now as Metallica, thirty years. It later. was fucking surreal. <laughs> I mean, it was. Uh, we were in that house for about three years. So when uh, Hetfield and I and Mustaine 
threw our shit in a truck and, and drove up north to have Cliff join the band, you know, James and I ended up in that house uh, with a guy named Mark Whitaker, who was sort of the, the fifth member, kind of the manager, the sound man. Mustaine ended up staying at uh, Cliff Burton's grandma's house uh, in, a, in, a, in a room at, at Burton's grandma's house down by where Burton was, uh, where Cliff was down in Castro Valley. But So we were back in that house for the first time in 30 years, and that house is literally like, like the size of this booth we're in. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that was like our home for three or four years, I mean, all the songs on Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets were written in that house in that garage out in the back. Uh, garage is not there, sadly. Unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it gone, got yeah. dis, uh, got dismantled, and you know, Headfield's like, we should have bought that garage, <laughs> and put it inside our studio, yeah. just build it like a replica of it inside <laughs> the studio, and like write songs in there, you know, for old times. It's, sake, like, it's like the actual Cavern Club actually exists in a museum yeah, now. Exactly. Like the Beatles played. You guys yeah, could have sure, done the yeah, same thing. Yeah. But we were in that backyard, and we had everybody from the Johnny Z's, all the people who have been just so uh, helpful all through our career came, and people from Europe, and old record company people, and tour managers, and old, you know, the Gene Ambos of the world, and the Howard, how Harold Lowe's, and you know, everybody mm-hmm. just came and supported, and we were in that that party for three, four, five. I, I didn't want it to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, "Fuck, this is so <laughs> cool," and you know, the house is now. Sort of, it's still the same house, and you know, but it's, it's you know, been repainted and all. But there's, you know, you know the the picture on the um, the picture on the inside of Master Puppets mm-hmm. that's taken on that couch. Oh wow! In that, you know, where With we're sitting. All the- Chinese food and yeah, alcohol all that, and the, shit. The, yeah. Those halfen pictures <laughs> yeah. of Chinese food is, is taken in the kitchen. Oh, that's cool. Uh, our friend uh, Skitchy, or my, you know, Rich Birch, mm-hmm. his nickname was Skitchy, who. The sort of the protagonist for the song Master Puppets. He was a guy that he would sleep over on the couch. He would he lived down the street and he would come and just basically hang in our house all the time. And he would crash on the couch and then he would wake up and chop his breakfast on a mirror. That was written about no him. Shit. Oh yeah, and that's you were in in that space. It's like that's where that couch. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That Skitchy would crash on and chop his breakfast on the mirror every morning and, you know, to sort of get going. I mean, it's, it was crazy being right? back in that same space. I was just in Mexico City last weekend, and uh, I think we were texting each other. You were just flying out of Copenhagen, and I was in Mexico City. And lo and, beno- lo and behold, unbeknownst to me, the hotel we were staying in, right next door was the hotel I lived in in 93 to 95 when I was living in Mexico. And I literally oh, wow. could have thrown a stone. I hadn't been there in 20-some-odd years, 25 years, whatever. Went in there, and like you said, same thing. Same dining room, same restaurant, same front desk. And I just sat there, and all of these memories came flooding in. crazy? Of the people that have passed on. My good sure. friend of mine, Eddie Guerrero, I remember we sat here, we got drunk, he yelled at me, we got in a fight. Did you, when you're at that same thing, when, when you, are you thinking a lot about Cliff Burton and some uh, of the experiences yeah, that I'm had just, Yeah, I'm just trying to take it all in. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't in, I mean, the difference between between you and I in that situation, when I was in that house, there was 200 other people with me gotcha. who were constantly going, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in 20 years, which was super cool. It wasn't a, a sort of like, I didn't get a chance to sort of like stand mm-hmm. there and reflect. Mm-hmm. But the people that own the the house now, um, uh, this family that literally like owns houses in the East Bay, they're like, anytime. You know, and I think that they've sort of, the house has become a little bit of a, for the few sort of people that come to explore music history in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. There's people that stop at 32, 31, 32 calls and go, that's it. That's where the boys, you know, wrote Lightning and <laughs> Puppets and stayed for all those years mm-hmm. and all that. So they were super nice. 
anytime you want to come back and hang out. So maybe one day I'll go back and reflect a little bit. But you know, um, it was a pretty crazy couple of hours. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of energy. I I, I didn't have a, a, a kind of a quiet second to mm-hmm. myself. But obviously, Cliff is. Um, I mean, without sounding cheesy about it, I mean he's part of our journey and mm-hmm. always will be part of our journey. And even if we don't sort of sit and think about him like every day what would mm-hmm. sure. Cliff was here now what would he say you know any of that I mean he's just this part of our DNA he's part of our being he's sure. part of, of our story and always will be and so it's it's always fun to sort of include him in these things whether it's super sort of even if it's just circumstantial you know mm-hmm. what I mean he's just he's part of the ride he's almost know? become a mythical a mythical entity yeah but you know you also know? I mean just to circle back to that I mean his dad Right. I mean, his dad right. will outlive all yeah. of us, including Keith Richards. Yeah. I mean, he literally, his dad is the sweetest man on this planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, is so inspirational to have around. And he comes to all these things. And Ray must be, I mean, he's got to be pushing 90. Mm-hmm. And he is clear as there's whatever something that's super clear is <laughs> clear as saran wrap glass yeah, exactly a I mean, bell he is fucking Ice. sharp I right. mean he is right there with it there's no mm-hmm. anything and he just likes to be included and just the fact that he's there always brings Cliff also and, and, and not just Cliff but this whole family his mom and yeah. you know had a brother that passed on and there was some tragedies in that mm-hmm. family and you know Ray kind of brings that energy back into our fold and it's just super cool to always have him just, just quickly tell me a little bit about Cliff I've always kind of been a little bit obsessed with him because I was a huge fan of his and when the you know when he, when he passed away I was you know really devastated because I was a bass player and of course one one millionth as good as Cliff Burton but I learned for him the bell tolls at least a cheap version of it and learned how to play you know Four Horsemen and that sort of thing but like it's a little insight on the personality of the guy he was very um have you ever crossed paths with Jim Martin from Faith No More? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Jim Martin and Puffy from yeah, Mike, Mike Borden. Yeah, Mike, right, yeah, Mike Borden, who obviously went on to Ozzy and Sabbath. Sabbath and so, yeah. so the three of them were kind of best friends growing up in uh, down in Castro Valley, Hayward, which is kind of the one part of the East Bay, um, people used to kind of joke, it was a little more kind of like redneck and stuff. It's you know, obviously in a very progressive area. Hayward and Castro Valley had a little bit of a rep as kind of more that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? And so they had, you know, if you've ever been around uh, Jim Martin, they, they all had the same kind of personalities. They were always kind of very contrary. They were almost in character. <laughs> they were uh, often um, fiercely independent, fiercely kind of just their own kind of thing uh, and, and like to sort of um, push buttons and, mm-hmm. and be a little sort of, I don't know if shocking is, but like contrary and sure, just sure. kind of yeah, say yeah, gotcha, yeah. things that were like a little out of line and so on. And there was a guy, you know, Jim's brother, uh, Lou Martin, who was a dear friend for many years. I don't see him that much now, but, you know, they were all, you know, they had a place a couple hours uh, north of San Francisco where they would all go like a cabin where Cliff's ashes are scattered now, mm. uh, where they would go like, you know, shoot guns and go duck hunting and all this other stuff. And we've all done, you know, been part of that whole thing. So Cliff was very... He was into a lot of different musical. I mean, he was into everything from, you know, which has been talked about, like, you know, the Leonard Skinner's, the ZZ Tops, R-E-M. the more REM, you know, like Simon and Garfunkel. He was into all kinds of classical stuff. He was, uh, you know, 
he was still in college when we met him. Hmm. And he was, uh, you know, and, and not saying good or bad or whatever. He was also probably the one that um, I think in those years he missed home more than any of the rest. When you're on the road, you he, yeah, yeah, he he would always like, for instance, when we were in Denmark, recording Lightning and Puppets. He went home when he wasn't doing his bass parts because he liked to be. He was kind of more of a homebody. Gotcha. Especially Hetfield and I were much more kind of independent and much more adaptable to sort of. You know, Cliff was a little. I remember the first you know few months we were in Europe. Like, what do you mean there's no Mexican food? You know, like, you know, <laughs> you could, like understand. You know, what do you mean you can't get breakfast? You know, twenty four. You know, it was like he was very sort of used to certain sort of Americanisms. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and had a hard time sort of, you wanted breakfast, whatever you wanted breakfast. Sure. He wanted, you know, wanted his Mexican food every day. He wanted beer and Mexican food. He was like very kind of, he wasn't sort of, okay, let's just. Yeah, and go, let's yeah. Just, yeah let's he was just, very American. Yeah, yeah, it was very, let's make it up as we go along. He was a little mm. more like, okay, fuck it. I'm done with my bass parts. I'm going back to Castro <laughs> Valley to get some Mexican food. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was a little bit more sort of traditional in, mm-hmm. in his sort of worldview or whatever. But, um. I'd say when I think of him, I just think mostly of how totally unique he was. I've never met anybody that was remotely like him. And he was fiercely protective of his own um, sort of individuality, often to the point of, you could argue, off to the point of, of sort of like overkill. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or it just became sort of like, you know, don't fuck with me. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, check this out. Check that out. You know, it's like, eh, you know. Mm-hmm. And... That was just Cliff. But if you look at him, too, though, at the time frame, like, okay, now everybody has their own look. But you're talking about 1983, 1984. We all had a metal look. You oh, had shit. heavy metal. You had shit, yeah. bangs, yeah, he tight jeans, yeah, yeah. No, uh, he, high tops. He wore bell bottoms. He had one yeah. length hair, lots yeah. of flannel. Yeah, he didn't get Nobody shit. had that. No, no. I mean, he was just... And that was, like I say, a little bit of that kind of redneck mm-hmm. thing that, you know, and I don't want to make too much of that part sure. of it. There was a little bit more, you know, obviously, you know, San Francisco at that time was still incredibly progressive and incredibly sort of worldly. And there were pockets yeah. around Northern California that were still very sort of traditional and, and a little more kind of rural, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Cliff was very, uh, he came from that pocket and he was fiercely protective of that, you know. Talk is Jericho. All right, Lars, we're talking about Cliff Burton, and I want to ask you uh, another question about him. What did he teach you guys as musicians and songwriters? He was the one. I mean, if you listen to the difference you know, with an analytical mind about sort of like the difference between Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning, obviously there was this huge, you know, the energy still was there and, and, and the heaviness was still there or more heaviness, but the, the palate... Or, or, you know, I guess the palette is the right word. Mm-hmm. The palette was, was expanded, you know. So we never experienced, with, like, you know, experimented, excuse me, with like harmonies, you know, melodies. You know, so if you take things like, you say like Foam the Bell Tolls, like, you know, that melody. If you take, uh, I don't know, like uh, Fade to Black, mm-hmm. you know, that riff, the outro, super melodic mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, that was all the stuff that he sort of brought to the to the table. Uh, the intro of Fight Fire, mm-hmm. that was more or less his. Wow. You know, so there was a this whole other thing that came from like the whole classical upbringing that he had. He, he studied classical music and he was, you know, could sit there and talk to you about Bach and sit and talk to you about Beethoven and, you know, the old, I don't know, Tchaikovsky, whatever. But you could sit there. I mean, listen, 
you know, in 1981, James Hetfield and I didn't sit there and like, you know, <laughs> didn't sit there and talk a lot about, you know, you know, like <laughs> classical, fifth, yeah. Yeah, classical endeavors, you know what I mean? We're a little more <laughs> narrow-minded in our outlook, you know what I mean? Not all. So uh, Cliff just had a really, uh, he loved the energy, he loved the aggression, but there were a few things, I, I think, you know, I don't think he was a big fan of, of some of the more, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody. No, no, no. I, I don't think he was, I don't think he was like a big fan of like Iron Maiden. And hmm. I don't think he was a big fan of the sort of the stuff that got power metal. Uh, yeah. The, oh, the, metal. that got very sort of pompous or very, yeah, yeah, not yeah. saying Iron Maiden. No, no, no. no. But, but you know what I mean? Sort of like. You call it beer stein rock where it looks like you're like, yeah, she's yeah, you know, yeah, We yeah. love heavy metal. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he wasn't a big fan of, of that. And I remember. Early on, when we started like traveling on the tour bus and stuff, I'd, I'd put on some like Maiden or some this, and he was like, he he didn't like get up out of his seat and start like banging up and down like the floor. He would, you know, I'd play some Maiden, I'd play some Diamond Head, I'd play some, and then he'd put on, you know, the Rio Grande Mud or De Guello, or he'd put on like some Yes album I'd never heard of or something. You know, I was like, huh? Well, he'd sit there and fly the flag for sort of really Jethro Tull, or he'd put on, you know, he, he you know, like one band he loved was the Police. Oh, yeah, wow. He loved, you know, so he'd always play the Police. That's... And so his his whole net was just really wide and and was sort of completely unencumbered by, mm -hmm. you know, how it was supposed to be if you're in a metal band, you know, which obviously James and I hadn't quite graduated to at, sure. at that time, you know. There's just one last thing about Cliff. It's interesting because I always hear people that, were, I'm sure you get all the time, or, you know, the Metallica was only good for the first three records. And if Cliff Burton was still alive, they never would have done the Black Album. They never would have done Load. And I always tell them I disagree with that because it seems like the melody and the eclecticism of Cliff would want to do something different in that way that you guys didn't change shit around. Do you feel? Do you feel that? Is it hard I, I, to predict? I've kind of taught myself to. Um, it's just like I, I don't even go there. Right. I, I just anytime in interviews where the conversation steers towards what would have happened if Cliff still. Well, here's the news, Sunshine. Cliff is not here, so it, it's mm -hmm. this is the way history played out. Do you know what I mean? And sure. so I, I don't. Um, I just think from from what you're talking about his attitude and his mindset, he would like to shake up the shit. Cliff, hands down was the one that was the most musically uh at that time the most musically varied mm -hmm. and so you know anybody that sits there and goes cliff wouldn't have done that cliff wouldn't have done that. i mean mm -hmm. it's just a non-starter of a sure, conversation sure, 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 sure. because we don't know now if you take like inner sandman right so you sit there and it's a great riff and it's a great this and we're doing this kind of and we tried a lot of different stuff with Newstead and you know this and that and then it was sort of like okay you know what at the end of the day just thumping just like Cliff straight, Williams yeah. doing the Cliff Williams yeah. straight eight notes Roger Glover Smoke mm -hmm. on the Water it just works for the song so I don't think Cliff would have said fuck you I'm not doing that his thing was just what's best for the song what's what's the bigger picture Bingo, right you know so this kind of fake elitism about like you know this person would have done it. Right. how do you, you you don't know that and and i just to me what would happen if you hadn't done this what would happen if this what would, it's like okay well so here's the history up until i walked into the sound booth with you you know, the only thing we can change is what happens when we walk out of the sound mm -hmm. booth, you know, whether we go down the hall or go left or right. I mean, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, sure, and sure, it's sure. just, I, I just, the way I, I am as a person, I'm just not a, 
you know, what would what look back? Do? Yeah, yeah, I just, I agree. It doesn't do anything I because agree. history is, and it's not even for, uh, it's not even, you know, some people sit there and go, like, everything happens for a reason. I'm not one of those sort of, it's spiritual and mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. some sort of energy. I'm just, I'm much more practical. This is how it played out. <laughs> and that's really the end of it. <laughs> and so you and I can sit here and wish that it hadn't played out that way. But it's, I guess it's sort of, uh, it's the way I've, I guess I've, if, I mean, if you really want to go deep, it's, it's probably the way I've sort of insulated myself mm. for the last 30, 35 years. People sit there and throw all kinds of shit at Metallica, you know, hey, acoustic guitars and fades of black. You, know, <laughs> you got that you. flack, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, dude, I mean, we people have been throwing <laughs> shit at us for 35 years. And so, you know, the only way to deal with it is to kind of just basically just ignore it. Yeah. Thick skin yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I've, there's a side of me that, can weather any one of those arguments well, because I just it just I've taught myself to to have it deflect off. But me. especially in this day and age where everybody has an opinion, and everyone can go online. You, you, the proof is in your in the pudding of the success and all of the things that are happening with Metallica. And we're talking about Hardwired. And there's something you mentioned a couple seconds ago. What's best for the song? And I have a theory about your drumming, which to me on this record, I said to a lot of my friends, Lars is the star of the show on this record. I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. Text about it Even a couple if you times. Were. <laughs> <laughs> I Lars still like to hear that. If James is here, James is the star of the show. Uh, Either version is fine. What I really appreciate about your drumming now, and always, but specifically now, is I always say Lars is the Ringo star of heavy metal drumming. And what I mean by that is that Ringo always played the exact right parts for the song. Maybe he could have done some more flash. Maybe he could have laid back, but he always played the best part for the song and it fit perfectly. I find that you, in this day and age, the last 10 years of Metallica, the last two, three records, you really do have that vibe where you play what's perfect for the song. I I, I mean, that's kind of been my MO for most of Metallica's um, career. There there was a year or two because, you know, Things things started so quickly, and and we were just literally like half an hour after we started, we were, you know, we were in San Francisco, and then you know Johnny Z called, and then we we're on the East Coast, and then we were making a record. I mean, it just moved quickly, right? So quickly, and you know, when we came back from Ride the Lightning, it was like wow, and we had a little bit of time. At, at that time, you know, like a month or two was like an eternity. It's like, what am I going to do now for a whole month? You know? And so both, uh, Kirk went back to taking guitar lessons from Cetriani and I went back and I thought I could, you know, I'd never really taken lessons and I never playing cause you wanted to, yeah, I just band. wanted to, I just wanted to be in diamond head and motorhead. And I didn't, it was like, well, you have to learn to play the instruments. I mean, I, it was almost like karaoke in the beginning. It was just like, I just wanted to be in a karaoke heavy metal band, you know, sit and bash along to, that's what Hetfield and I did. We just sat and played along to you put the diamond music head. on and play along. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is getting real. It sort of wasn't really intended that way. Right. For the, and so, you know, I, I'd never really taken lessons, so I, I took some lessons from uh, one of Satriani's guys, super cool guy, and until and Kirk, you know, took sure, um, yeah. lessons, and, and we were sort of, you know, playing a little bit of catch-up. And so I went through a period that probably culminated in the Justice album where I felt sort of compelled to try to show ability. Mm. It's like, you know, and listen, when you got... Dave Lombardo and Charlie Benante, you know, 
breathing down your back. Yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, I gotta. You had some try to. I tried to yeah. step up, step it up a little bit, and try to do my own thing and do all this crazy shit. The part on but, one, that double kick on one, is is very intricate. Yeah, well, thank uh, you. I mean, and, and a lot of those things were actually written on the, because we start. You know, I would come up with drum riffs and drum ideas that Hitfield would write. Riffs you too. Know, riffs too. Gotcha, right. Like justice for all. Doom, but doom, boom. You know, okay. all that stuff. But I was very, I was trying really hard to push the drums kind of into the foreground. Mm-hmm. And then after like a year or two of that, I was like, okay, seriously, it's like, you know, just do your thing, chill out, support the riffs, do what's best for the song. So since around, I guess, the late 80s, so I guess it's been like 25 years mm-hmm. now, the only thing that's really interested me is just doing the best thing for the song and sitting and doing... um you know the kind of the Phil Rudd four on the yeah, floor the when, when it calls for that. That's really what I love to do, and and just to be able to make James's riff swing, and to make it kind of bounce, and and to do all that type of stuff. I just sort of turned a corner where I just stopped being interested in. They're gonna try to do. You know, mm-hmm. thirty-two to thirty. I don't even know what paradiddles. Paradiddles standing upside down. You know, backwards, fucking Lombardo style. It's like let Lombardo be Lombardo. Sure. And I'll kind of just do my own thing. And and you know, so, but everybody goes through periods. You know, of of that kind of thing. And and I got mine out of my system pretty early. And and like I said, for the last twenty-five, thirty years or whatever, it's mm-hmm. just been more about making it swing. And that's what I'm happy to do and then people can kind of say what they and want. And we've heard <laughs> we've heard that before that one uh, I think download or something where you didn't play or couldn't play or whatever the hell happened they had Lombardo come in they had Joy Jordison come in if you listen to those bootlegs it's like it's not great it's not Metallica you know. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I have to say that uh, lying in a hospital room in Hamburg, Germany <laughs> While Dave Lombardo was up on stage, <laughs> that was not one of the life's most fun moments. <laughs> Do I still have a gig? <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. I was like, I was on the phone with James. It's like, James, you know, if I leave now, I can, you know, I'll find a plane. I'll be there in a couple hours. It's like, James was like, just get some chill time. Stay in bed. Do your thing. You need to recover uh-huh. and recuperate and, and get whatever it is that's going on like out of your body and, and I'll see you in two days. Or James, man, I'm gonna I'm coming. Don't leave me. <laughs> Were you just sick or something? Or you have some kind of flu? Uh, or? It all just caught up to oh, me. I, I, I think I had I a, you. you know, when you kind of... I've been there before. When, you know, it... When you've been burning the candle for both ends for a few months and your body just goes... Yeah, you okay, just stop. Yeah. In your tracks and lay the fuck down and chill the fuck out. And we'll get the, back to you in a couple of days. <laughs> I had that one time I woke up in the morning with giant, you know, cold sores in your mouth. I had like 20 cold sores in my mouth. And I was like, what? I can't, you can't even breathe and you can't eat and you can't swallow. And I went to the doctor and he's like, dude, you need to get off the, the merry-go-round right now. And I was like, but what's he goes, he goes, there's no reason for this. It's just your body telling you that you got too much exactly. yeah. shit going on. So there you go, right? There you go. But you're talking about being on the phone with James. You guys are so close. And I've been watching a lot of the behind the scenes stuff from Hardwire, but you guys writing songs together and that sort of thing. It's very interesting to me, the process, because you and James basically write the majority of most of the songs, but he's playing the riffs and you're more like directing and, and ideas. And it's almost like you're producing, but also chopping things together what's what's that's that kind process? of always been Is, that's it always been? been it's been like that basically since the beginning mm-hmm. it, uh it's like he he writes these insane riffs and then i try to find sort of ways to 
uh, I guess it's almost like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's like you just move one piece here and this piece here, and that will work well with that. And and that's kind oh. of uh, it's, it's always been that you know arranging it, uh, connecting the dots, uh, producing. I mean, that's like I. I and you know when we're just doing our thing, we 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 don't wear those hats. He'll, hey, try this kind of drum beat. Or I'll say, why don't you uh, go to a different note on the last thing or resolve it over here? Or why don't you play instead of playing you know three and one? Why don't you play two and two? Or why don't you instead of gallop in the right mm-hmm. hand try to do straight down picking order? I mean, there's no boundaries. There's no walls. It's not. You know, he's the guitar player and I'm the drummer. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just two people trying to create a piece of music together, whether it was Bob Rock or whether it was Fleming or whether it was Rick Rubin or whether it was now Greg Fiddleman. We have like a language and a, some like words for things. And it's like, you know, we use the word guy a lot. Like, take that guy and then <laughs> put that guy or the tail. People say, what's a tail? A tail is, you know, the t- you have a riff and the tail is the back of the riff you know it's like okay why don't you you know take the double the tail or go you know we'll, we'll say stuff like a b a b instead of a a a b or whatever you know mm-hmm, just like sure, sure. and our producers will always sit there and go like what the hell are they talking about you know <laughs> um but we have this kind of instinct thing uh and that's kind of just it's the way that now. we've always been doing it the only difference now is that there's 37 cameras running all the time. <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of like you're just trying to let people, you know, it's kind of fun to share. And, and obviously now with all this stuff, it's you share and you let yeah. people in. It, it's what we do. And, and it's kind of, I mean, we've always loved letting, you know, having the door open and, and kind of let people into. But now we have the ability. So people see kind of how we connect it. But it's, it's really no... Um, if people sat around when we were riding the ride the lightning or even uh, kill them all or any of that stuff, it was basically the same thing. Mm. Hey, why don't you connect that guy to that guy and put that one over here and double the tail and you know try to go? T- <laughs> the one that's I like a- that I use with my band is that's stock. St- stock, that's yeah. just stock. Yeah. It's just well, like average. It yeah, well, be better, we used right? to. Yeah, <laughs> it's stock. I think stock was the uh, stock is a thing in the um, in uh, the, some kind of monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I'm sitting there going, that's really stock, and you just get got all mad. Yeah, what are you talking about stock? But just to see that that relationship, because you're talking about bands with the two guys, Lennon and McCartney, uh, Joe Perry and Steve Tyler, Mick and Keith, and there's Lars and James, Paul and Gene. You guys have stayed together, as have Kiss, as have uh, 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 not too many bands, oh, the Stones, but most bands have broken up at some point in time. You guys never did that, no matter Rocky Waters or whatever. It's a, that's a pretty uh, pretty cool thing to be able to say. I got to say that um, it's a very cool thing to say, and, mm. and it obviously it's something that as you get older you you appreciate. But um, you know, two things: it doesn't get any easier as you get older. <laughs> first of all, right. okay. Second of all, I mean, so or in the wake of that, then is the fact that um, I, I would say we put more time and effort and resources into making that side of it work because um, if you don't find the right balances, you know, it's fine. You're in your 20s. You're 19 years old. Whatever. You're in your 20s. You're even in your 30s. On the other side of kids, on the other side of all those ups and downs and relationships and watching your kids and, you know, the whole thing and, you know, whether you sort of need to do this and all that type of stuff. If it doesn't function, 
And if you don't sort of sit there and find a way for the ecosystem to sort of Mm -hmm. live and breathe and how everybody has to be able to sort of come and go and everybody's needs and I have this need and this guy has this need and he's got to go through this. And there's a a, a kind of a calendar that lives like in in this calendar that lives somewhere deep (laughs) in the bowels of this thing. And I mean, if you could see, it's like, you know, <laughs> Lars out, you know, school holiday, James out, so-and-so. Jim, it's like, it, you know, the reason that it works now still is because we sort of, we flipped it. And instead of Metallica being the priority, now everything outside of the Metallica is the priority, right? And, I mean, obviously families and kids and, and, and life. And then Metallica sort of, finds its way into all those empty spaces in there. Does mm-hmm, that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's been sort of the, uh, I guess, like post some kind of monster meltdown. That's kind of what we, that's kind yeah. of sort of where organically drifted towards in order for it to work. So everybody's got these needs mm-hmm. and these kind of things that in in order for it to function, we have to, be respectful of of this and that and so on and so forth and and you sort of learn that sitting there and going like eh why is he doing that and why wait a minute and we've got a grig in Shreveport Louisiana or, or whatever it's like you just it's got to, you, you, you can't even go yeah. there the minute you just it's empathy it's like okay fine he needs to do that peace done right something else it'll keep moving forward or if you take it into the that's the practical side if you take it into the creative side it's like you're working on something it's like that's really cool i really like that and then it's like the other guy goes mm, it's not really working for me like 20 years ago be come on man we're gonna fucking make it work come on fuck yeah it's fucking awesome come on you know now it's like okay but doesn't work for you doesn't work for you we have more material and more riffs and more fucking ideas that we'll ever know <laughs> what to do with. Right. So it's like, okay, fine. Fuck it. There's another idea. It's not worth fighting about. It's not worth arguing. It's not worth belittling the other person. Mm-hmm. It's not worth... It just... We've learned to sort of stop... You know, it, it, we don't even... You know, like... It or worry about it. We don't it. even like... You know, like... Uh, it doesn't even get out of the starting gate. I got you, yeah. It just gets Done. buried right okay fine we'll just move on and we've sort of conditioned ourselves to do that mm-hmm. and that's what makes Metallica function now is this incredible internal leniency for everybody's needs mm-hmm. and I think we have a good balance now we, we've sort of conquered that in the last sort of post it, it settled down and, and found a way to sort of function on around St. Anger and then post San Anger, when we came back to it and started Death Magnetic, that's where it really showed itself functioning. Mm-hmm. So it's been close to 10 years now, and internally we have like the best vibe we've that's ever had great, in this yeah. band. Now the only unknown is this, shoulders, and this, the shoulders, shoulders the right. knees, the necks, the backs, uh, the that's, wrists that's, and all that. That's if Nothing happens there, God damn, fucking look at you, man. God damn. <laughs> I'm extra pumped right now. I must have a lot of blood flowing through me. Talking to Lars, excited. But you know what I mean? It's like if if we, if all this stuff stays functioning, mm-hmm. 
we can go on forever. Because that's something that's just uncharted waters. You mentioned the Stones yeah. earlier, and they're still rocking at 73 yeah. and still doing great. You know, Charlie's still playing drums, but it's a lot different between, you know, Satisfaction sure. and Dyer's Eve or Spit Out the Bone or something like that. We've never seen a thrash metal band in the mid-50s going on to 60, 65, 70. It all depends. There was nobody, nobody in front of us. Right. It all and depends basically on how you feel, I guess, as the machine of the band. Yeah, I mean, like I've said a couple times in the last few months, when I went to a desert, desert trip. trip, you know, it's like the Stones are great, Neil Young's great, you know, everybody's <laughs> great. Wait a minute, all the drummers are in their 20s <laughs> yeah. and 30s. Wait, what's wrong with this picture? Charlie's the only yeah, one. Yeah, Charlie's the only the OG. <laughs> all the rest of them are all spring chickens out there fucking rocking along. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute, how come there's not six drummers in their mid-70s? Right. So? So uh, Charlie is, you know, but obviously in the world of jazz, there's a lot of, of jazz drummers from the Elvin Joneses. To, you know, a lot of dudes were Max Roach, you know, were playing well into their 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those cats even into the 80s. But obviously it was all wrist. I mean, nothing, you know, their whole bodies were mm-hmm. more or less at a standstill and everything was in the wrists. Which is what a lot of the the Ian Paces and you know a lot of those guys you know now you know as it kind of got into the Phil Rudd thing and I mean if you watch Phil Rudd if you watch like the Paris '79 thing I mean he's fucking yeah 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 his yeah. whole body yeah. the weight that goes into it and the the whole kind of <laughs> you know what I mean and so we'll have to see I mean um, you know I saw Sabbath what a couple months ago now and Geezer. Ozzy, Tony, they've never been better. But it's Tommy back there. I don't know how old Tommy is, but maybe 30, 30, maybe right? 30, yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that's the, that's the it's the it's it, it's the unknown, you know. Yeah. So I, I just don't know what's gonna happen. So we put a lot of again uh resources and, and time into work out, if not every day, then close to every day. We got a couple guys, you know, that are sort of with us that mm-hmm. take care of, of and, and you know about this stuff, you know, about stretching us yep. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a whole, I mean, it's it, it's getting very athletic, you know, mm, sure. bag, you know, it's like massage tables and strange oils and fucking. It's no more chopping your breakfast on a mirror yeah, and beers. <laughs> none of that stuff. Thank you very much. But even just, I was always, you know, a little bit back in the day, it was like, we're hanging out and James and everybody there just in their clothes and it's like now we gotta play I gotta put my little silly shorts on to fucking drum I always felt a little self-conscious about it it's like, I, was like, okay, now I gotta put my little Nike yeah. running shorts on and they're all got their metal out you know tight jeans right yeah. you know and nowadays it's like you know like we were up in Toronto like a couple of weeks ago and like we all just show up at soundcheck we don't do a lot of sound checks, <laughs> but occasionally we do a sound check. it's like we show up at soundcheck we, we said we're going to work on some of the new songs because we haven't had a chance to practice them. So let's start practicing Halo on Fire and some of this sound check, right? And we get down to the venue and everybody just runs up on stage. And within like 12 seconds in the venue, the three of them are up there on stage playing Halo on Fire. I'm down in the dressing room getting <laughs> massaged, getting stretched, getting fucking worked on. Like I'm For about sound to, check. Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of pathetic, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like it's it's what's got to happen. I got to yeah. do 15 minutes. I got to get my my shoulder and my elbow and my wrist worked on mm-hmm. because I don't want to fucking chance it and go up and start playing cold and all of a sudden I pull something. Right. But lying down there and it's like 
fuck, I hope nobody gets up there and plays those songs. <laughs> <laughs> hope Dave Lombardo's not around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but so it, it's kind of, you know, but it's just the way it is. You know, yeah, Hetfield sure. now has to do his, uh, you know, when he does like gigs and stuff, he goes into like the bathroom and does 10 minutes of la, 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 all that sure. stuff or whatever. So everybody's got, got like versions thing, yeah. of that. Kurt does all his yoga and, and all that type of stuff. But it's just, it's part of... It's part of the drill now yeah. in 2016. And again, I worked really well with um, the whole kind of just you have to accept accept the things you sure, can't sure, change sure, sure. and change the things that you sort of can, right. you know, alter. But no, we're not going to fuck with that stuff. So it is what it is. Like I said, it's like kind of a sports team, but we accept it. All right, sitting here with Lars Ulrich. And let me ask you a question, man. Um, have you ever, just as a fan, tried to play along with Let There Be Rock, like just uh, air drumming or on your set? I mean, have you ever followed along when ACDC does that live? That's insane. I'll tell you one story. So I'm at Coachella last year. And so I'm at Coachella, and so Chris... Yeah, Chris Slade. Right, so Chris just got the gig, mm-hmm. and it's their first show. And I hope Chris doesn't mind me saying this. I don't know if I'm like saying anything. I shouldn't be saying it. It's kind of benign. But but he's basically he just got the gig. Didn't feel whatever. You know that didn't work out. And so there's Chris, and I was like, they're playing Coachella, and I'm standing backstage talking to him, and they're going up on stage, and he's like, you know, how you doing? How you feeling? It's like we haven't really rehearsed much. I can relate to that. We yeah. don't rehearse very much either. And did you guys play like a couple of warm-up shows or anything? No. <laughs> wow. Coachella is your first show. <laughs> I said, when was the last time they hadn't played ACDC? hadn't played in like six years. Yeah. Right. First of all. Right. Okay. Second of all, Chris hadn't played with them in like 20 years yeah. or whatever. It's like, wow, that's really brave. And so they go up and he's up there fucking jamming away, doing his thing. Oh my God, Chris, how awesome shape. And talk about a guy who's yeah. in his 60s He's in great 70, shape. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they get back off stage and I walk back into the restaurant. Chris, that was amazing, dude. You fucking... And so he told me, and I hope I'm not saying any state secrets here, but this is kind of funny and this is all meant as nothing but love. But he told me that he didn't know that Angus was going to go out on that platform. So in Let There Be Rock, right. which is fucking quarter notes, and any drummer, any drummer, I mean, this is like a drummer's biggest nightmare, yeah. is basically playing those fucking quarter notes up at this tempo. For eight right. minutes. But, right. Eight minutes. I mean, that's fucking, that's a hall pass. <laughs> fucking Angus went out on that platform during the guitar solo in Let There Be Rock and did the whole thing with confetti and the whole guitar solo out on that platform yeah, in the middle of the rises up. Try like 15 minutes. <laughs> and I'm just sitting going, fucking Chris is back there playing Let There Be Rock. Playing. And he said, is occasionally he went to half notes and we're like no I said I I think I may have spotted that Chris but fucking God bless you and yeah. you know hats off mm-hmm. for keeping that going I mean that any drummer is like that's what I always love when people go easy drums are easy oh. it's like you guys that's way harder than doing a thrash metal Dude, drums you know okay. oh here it comes no no but I mean <laughs> listen playing Highway to Hell. And making it swing the way that it swings in those first 16 bars is as hard as any insert 
super progressive right. metal band, you know, 20 minute upside mm -hmm. down drummer guy doing <laughs> yeah, something, yeah, yeah. you know, with four arms or whatever. Right. It's as hard. So, you yeah. know, enough with all that sure. stuff. I mean, Phil Phil Rudd is he's, he's the, the, the unsung hero. Starting, you keep looking out there. What's well, going on? They're, they're giving me the uh, They're giving you the thing. evil eye. Yeah, yeah. The evil We're eye. just getting started. You know, a few more questions. We got a couple yeah. more. There's one question I have to ask, and this is a great story that we share. On, on the new record, you have Murder One, which is written about our mutual friend, Lemmy, one of the best guys ever. Got to tell, tell the story, but when we were at the Whiskey at his birthday party last year, and they're having this great big uh, party for him and everybody's hanging around and they have this big tribute to Lemmy on the screen. All these dignitaries and great guys are saying how much Lemmy is they're their friend and their fan and he, they love him so much. He's sitting in a, basically a throne and remember what he was doing while this whole thing was going on? He was reading. He was reading a book. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Lemmy. I that mean, sums that, it up, right? Yeah, I mean, that's Lemmy in a, in a nutshell. I mean, first of all, and, and I, I think we, you know, we have talked about this, I mean, he was Unfortunately, obviously, much sicker than anybody really knew mm -hmm. at the time. You know, it was like, I don't like to say anything that could be perceived as disrespectful, but there was a lot of love that went into putting that Lemmy tribute together. But I think it was a lot about the people that were putting it together. I don't think this is just me personally, and and I, again, I, I say it for the hundredth time. I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody, but I don't think Lemmy really cared that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was, but I think it was important for everybody else to do it for him. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that I noticed over those days at the party the whiskey, and all yeah. all that stuff is that there's very few people in our world that bring people together at the le level. You know, so I mean, to me, it was like class reunion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like there aren't a lot of people that can gather so many different musicians and players and, and personalities from the world of, of hard rock as Lemmy. So I think it was it was great that we could all be in a in a room yeah. together. But I don't think he really cared that much, you know, and that was just his sort of personality. I don't think that that wasn't a, a diss at the people that mm -hmm. that put it together, but and he was he was sick. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen him. I saw him at Glastonbury like four or five months earlier. And I had a really nice time with him backstage. It was just me and him, 15, 20 minutes, laughing, telling stories. But I could tell then he was frail. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, you know, at, at, at the whiskey thing, I, I had five or ten minutes with him. And he was just not great. But I don't think anybody knew that he was, I mean, this was, what, two weeks oh, two before? Two weeks beforehand, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was kind of crazy. But uh, obviously fiercely independent and mm -hmm. fiercely kind of just in his own world, which he had earned every right to be, you know? I almost feel like once he found out that he was really sick, he almost willed himself to, like, I'm not going to do this. Because he died, like, the next day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. almost was like, yeah. I think I'm just, like, let go. Yeah, I think that's, you know? I think that's what, what happened. Yeah. I think people can, um, I think as you get older, I think you can, you know, if you want to, you can sort of check out mm -hmm. sure I think sure that's yeah. what he did but who knows but so i went to his house uh, about a year before that to do had him on my show and i couldn't believe they said go over to his house and this was not the one behind the rainbow it was a new place that he had with all the stuff on the wall every single medal and knife and bullet and gun and flag and all of his world war ii memorabilia 
And we sat there and talked for a couple hours, and then he asked me if I wanted some vodka. So sure, because he couldn't drink whiskey anymore, but he said, I'm just drinking vodka instead. And it's like, okay, so your liver knows the difference, I guess. And then he asked me if I wanted a cigarette. I was like, I haven't had a cigarette in 20 years, but Lemmy offers me a cigarette, I'll have one. So we sat there and smoked cigarettes and talked about faulty towers and drank whiskey at four in the afternoon. It was like, it's a pretty cool Lemmy experience. Well, fuck yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. A <laughs> couple last questions. Um, one of my favorite moments and something that was completely never been done before, something that Lars loves, it's something that's never been done before, it's pretty crazy, is when you guys did the 30th anniversary at the uh, Fillmore sure. in San Francisco. Yeah. And you guys did four nights yep. and 80 songs yeah. with 77 different songs. Yeah, we only played, uh, we all, the, only song, the only song we played more than once was Seek and Destroy. Yeah. How in the fuck did you guys do that? That man? was a pretty naughty week. Yeah, that was a pretty naughty week. Uh, it it wasn't really intended. It wasn't like, let's do four nights and play four. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of, it morphed into that. Um, uh, but that was a that was that was a fun week. I mean, fuck the amount of people that came through the door and being able to do stuff with everybody from the Gary Washingtons to Ozzy and Geezer to the Glenn Danzigs to the Dave Mustaines to you know Lou Reed and, was there and, and Biff yeah, was there yeah, and Bob you know, was there yeah, Bob yeah. Rock and yeah Bob Rock and Kid Rock and <laughs> you know John Bush and the Merciful Fate guys and everybody we're leaving out uh, you know I mean it was it was an insane apocalyptica I mean it was it was an insane insane um, undertaking um, and it just sort of morphed into that I mean it, it listen this is one of the best weeks of my life uh and to be able to, um, I mean, if you take, uh, I think like on, on Wednesday night, I mean, we went from, I think we went from, I think on Wednesday night we had, let's say you had Kid Rock doing the Seeger song. You had Marianne Faithful, I mean, rock royalty. Yeah. Fucking doing Memory Remains. You had Lou Reed doing a couple of the things we did together. Mm -hmm. And then Merciful Fate. <laughs> we fucking King Diamond, Hank Sherman, Michael Denner, and, and Timmy, Timmy Hansen. Hansen yeah. I mean, talk about covering a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, you know what I mean? So to be able to do that kind of shit and just sit there and somehow help anchor that or steer that mm -hmm. or whatever was crazy. And doing the sound checks and the rehearsals, people would come out to HQ and do rehearsals and stuff and it was, was a amazing. great week we everything was taped a videotape recorded filmed or whatever mm -hmm. so one day it will probably start um but no band has ever done that before that's what i loved about it it's the first time that's ever been that way well thank you uh that wasn't the intention it was mm -hmm. just a celebration but of, that's you guys yeah. that's what you do like how much rehearsal did you have to do for a song like to live is to die never played it it's almost 30 years freaking old <laughs> man dude we fucking, if you know how much of that shit we fucking wing, I mean, oh, it's I'm sure. fucking unbelievable. I mean, the fact that we most of the time land in the same fucking place together always just blows my mind. I mean, we're just <laughs> sort of sitting there looking at each other. I mean, we did have, uh, so we have these uh, sort of monitors or mm -hmm. word, word wedges, as James calls them or whatever. And there's lyrics and there's... Uh, Sort of, I'd have something with, you know, 4X, 8X, you know, eight times. I mean, some of that shit just gets to be a blur after mm. a while. So the guy that was uh, running all that stuff, all those little uh, cheap Monitors things or whatever, and, yeah. yeah, whatever. I mean, he was... Teleprompters. Uh, he was there. There was a lot of trust in him uh, and for for that week. Uh, he got a big bonus at the end of the week. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. Uh, but man... Um, it's just fun. I mean, it's the same thing when we go on tour. I mean, we 
on the Death Magnetic tour, I think we um we hit somewhere between sixty and seventy songs um that we could more or less play. Not necessarily at a moment's notice, but I could put, I think probably around 60 songs I could put in the set list that night, and then we would run them. We have kind of a, a studio tuning room backstage where we, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing stuff like that. So we'd run I Disappear or yeah. some Freight Ends of Sand. You know, that kind one, of stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, you run it once or twice and just sort of brush up on it. I'd say there's probably. I'd say maybe 40 songs that we could probably play more or less without having to, you mm-hmm. know, brush up. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you just got to remember, like, where does it start? You know, mm-hmm. especially I think for James, it's like just if here's the first note, it's like the, where's the position on the neck where it starts? You know, right, it's right, like right. that kind of stuff. What, what's the count off? You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you're just if you get through the first two seconds and often yeah. you're okay it's yeah. just like connecting the first you know it's like an actor as long as you remember your first line exactly. the rest comes through exactly what's your favorite songs to play live after all these years um i think one of the the, the sort of standby or, or the one to go to favorites that i always just love playing is sanitarium there's something about where that sits and how, how I interact with it every time I've never played it the same way twice mm. and I just feel like I can always do a lot of crazy shit in that song Sapper True is one of my favorites also it's one of those songs where I feel really um, free there's some of the songs like let's take like you just said Freight Insanity I mean that's all up here mm-hmm. it's like literally it's mad what's, yeah it's like what's the next part what's yeah. the next part what's the next part what's the next part what's the next part I made it through without fucking it up you know <laughs> A song like Sad But True or a song like those are completely just physical. There's, it's just you you jump in and you never have to really think. Phil Rudd. Yeah, it's yeah. just you lose yourself in the moment. And those are the super fun songs to play. Those are the ones that sort of come to mind. Um, Harvester is kind of like that, I guess, to a degree. Obviously, Seek and Destroy. I mean, a couple of those. If you see a song like, like Whiplash or Trapped Under Ice, how you play that sometimes, is that one of those ones where you got to like... <sighs> All right, Lars, here we go. Uh, now, whip, uh, Trapped is a little more challenging because there's a lot of double bass mm. in that. That's got to... Okay, yeah. <laughs> flex. <laughs> uh, whiplash is pretty cool, uh, fairly straightforward. Like, Motor Breath, that, that's one we could sort of like anytime hit the lights <laughs> and hit Four Horsemen. Um, I notice you play a lot now with your snare. You use a lot of fills using your snare drum rather than the rack toms and all that stuff. That's another thing we talked about earlier about being kind of a, a Ringo-esque type vibe. You, you enjoy doing your fills on the snare, it Clive seems. Burr. Clive Burr? Yeah. A lot of that comes from Clive Burr. He was so underappreciated. Great call, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, rest in peace. I mean, yeah. he, uh, you know all those... Uh, Snare rolls in "Hallowed Be Thy Name." Mm-hmm. You know the, you know the outro. They always they sounded so heavy. It was like rolls on the, on the snare drum. They just sound punchier. It's like you go up to the to the toms and it just gets a little, thuddier or a little. It's just not as aggro. It's like you know, it's just it. It's like air drumming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's a word that we, we use a lot. It's like it's an air drum moment. You just you know, so you take "Hallowed Be Thy Name" or some of those songs uh, like "Number of the Beast" or, I mean, Clive. He's just he does the prisoners, so a lot of snares. Yeah, snare fills. You know, just prisoner, super yeah. long snare rolls. It's that's kind of. Um, 
and also Duncan Scott, who was a drummer in in Diamond Head. He mm. used to do a lot of kind of just super simple snare drums. And then people again the counters, hey, you know, upside down paradiddles and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but okay, fine, but it doesn't really sound that great. Yeah, do you right, know what I mean? Right, right, and right, right. so it's uh, it but a lot of that just comes from um from from Clive Burr. Are you gonna do a lot of the new songs live? I hope to play every one of the new songs. Uh, people have <laughs> people have taken to the new record way more than we expected, and I'm actually hearing a lot of people say. So we've been doing these underplays, as we call them, and, and obviously we're, small shows. You know, yeah. you know, we're playing one here in a couple of days at the Fonda, and we did one up in Toronto, which was super fun a couple Opera weeks House, ago, and yeah. we did, uh, you know, uh, the Vans joint in London, and and you know, we're playing like three new songs. You're like, play more new songs. Yeah. That's not something that you yeah, hear that's right, often. That's right. That's right. People are like play the old shit. Now people are like pl- play more new songs. It's like, uh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, we haven't had any time to rehearse them, <laughs> so we're sort of um, when we start up in January. I mean, I, we did one thing on Death Magnetic that we've never done before um, on any Metallica tour ever. On Death Magnetic, we played all ten songs from the Death Magnetic album on the subsequent tour. Hmm. We've never done that gotcha. on any album ever. We've played all the songs from some of the albums, but not on since the, then. But on not the on the tour, yeah. not on the on the following tour. Uh, so uh, it looks like shock horror that we may actually rehearse for a couple of days in January before uh. we uh, before we go to Korea and learn the rest of these bad boys, uh, so we can uh, play them because um, there's so much demand and obviously. Uh, eight years later, we want to get to all those new songs and play mm-hmm. them. And I think that uh, a lot of these new songs, some of the Death Magnetic stuff worked very well. Cyanide. That's a um, great one, yeah. Broken, Beaten, Scarred worked well. All Night May Long, uh, that's quite an undertaking live. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot talk about Freight and Sanity yeah. kind of shit, yeah. you know. Uh, by the time you got into some of the songs like the Judas Kiss and so on, it got a little too introverted and a little too little too cerebral Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of these songs on this new album are going to work maybe even better in in a live situation because they're a little more about like the vibe and Mm -hmm. the groove and and some of the songs are a little simpler and i think that a lot of them are are promising for 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 live stable so i mean we're three into it now uh atlas uh, hardwired and uh moth and moth and those three are people are digging them i mean it's it's as you know, especially in hard rock. There's a little bit of a strange relationship with new material. <laughs> That's great. Now get to the fucking old shit. And I'm telling you, I've started hearing a little bit of like, it was great to see you at the opera house. Why didn't you play more than three new songs? It's like never heard that before. I mean, that's that's great. That's, yeah. that's a good problem to have. Spit out the bone, man. That's the one. Yeah, dude. That's I, be tough dude, one for I you. fucking um. I played that for my my old uh, my middle son in the car a couple two three weeks ago when it, right when it came out and he he just looked at me and there was this long pregnant pause he goes that's really cool that how are you gonna play that live <laughs> we'll figure it out yeah. <laughs> okay out. last question who's your favorite obscure new wave of British heavy metal band and do you consider Def Leppard to be a new wave of British heavy metal band. Well, certainly, originally, I mm-hmm. mean, Def, Def Leppard were definitely part of that whole thing. And if you go back to the really early shit, like, you know, Overture and, and everything on the first record, even the old singles, you know, there's a song, um, 
It was a B-side of uh, of one of the early singles called Ride Into the Sun. Mm-hmm. One of the great songs. They re-recorded it later, but the OG version. <laughs> I mean, they were definitely, I mean, they were at the very, very front of it. So absolutely. You would never hear them say that, though, I don't think. That's right. fine. I mean, <laughs> listen, I have nothing but respect for those guys. No, but I obviously agree. they 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 were the first guy to sort of depart mm-hmm. from that, you know, with Mutt Lang on the first album in 81. And then the way they broke American, so that's fine. Sure. It's, it's not a right or wrong contest. Yeah, yeah. You said, do I consider Def Leppard to be part of it? For me, they were part of it, but they also dissipated out of it fairly quickly mm-hmm. because by the time High and Dry came out, I didn't love that record. It, it got a little, the pop sensibility. I, I just wasn't re- right. ready sure, to sure, sort sure. of embrace that at the time. Mm-hmm. But the obscure bands... I said it depends. It depends how obscure you want to get. The problem, the problem with the more obscure bands is that when you get down to the really the third tier, a lot of them didn't do more than a single or two. Mm -hmm. So there's not that much material from them. So if you take a band, there's a band called Nighttime Flyer. Okay, they had a song called Heavy Metal Rules. (laughs) I mean, it is one of the great anthems. I mean, it's. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's silly, but heavy, kind of anthemic. I don't think anybody ever heard more from these guys than this one single. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's anybody listening that has got anything more on Nighttime Flyer. Shout out to Nighttime Flyer. Right. If you're out there. You know, uh, there was, because um, some of the stuff has is dated itself. Mm-hmm. And then there's some of the stuff that still holds up pretty well. I find Raven was like that for me. I loved Raven in 85, 86. Listen sure. back to it now, it's still cool, but it is a little bit dated. Maybe the production, right. song styles, maybe something. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I, you know, there was, um, like, there's a band called Trespass, or Trespass, as they would say in England, who had a, a couple of songs on the second Metal for Mothers album. There's one, a song called Stormchild and a song called One of These Days. I mean, One of These Days in a pre-Metallica band that I had going with Lloyd Grant, mm-hmm. who ended up doing all the solos on the very early versions of Hit the Lights. What was the we band played, called? Uh, we didn't get no, far enough okay. to have a band name. but um, <laughs> You played? We played that Trespass song one hmm. of these days, which was available, like I said, on Metal for Mothers 2. <laughs> Some pretty obscure stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, there was a band called Hollow Ground that had an, a four-cut EP uh, that had a song called Fight with the Devil that got some really really heavy riffing in it kind of that mid-tempo the stuff that that we not heavy as in sabbath heavy but more kind of diamond head the helpless Mm -hmm. kind of the mid-tempo the stuff that we do on like ride the lightning and master puppets Mm -hmm. those kind of things you know them all (laughs) i do know them all uh it's hard sometimes just to get put on the spot and kind of you know but jaguar i mean jaguar put out a couple of records you know there's the first song backstreet woman you know <laughs> i mean that's that's some fucking next level shit there was a song called the dutch connection they were one of the greats but they were when you say obscure i mean they made an album <laughs> yeah yeah well that's pretty obscure <laughs> but, too right but still Even okay but us. there were but there yeah. were a couple of bands that just you know they like they had a single i mean by the time you started there's a band called silverwing okay mm. take take silverwing they had a song called rock and roll of four letter words okay i mean okay seriously should we just <laughs> fucking find silverwing um they only had they only had one song 
that was on a, a compilation album called New Electric Warriors. Mm-hmm. I don't have my glasses if I can type. S-I-L-V-E-R. And it's not even silver, it's Silva. No, it was Silver Wing. Okay, we're, we're both Googling Sil- Silver, silver wing, wing right now. Rock. Okay, Silver Wing Rock Band. Let's see what we got here. Rock and roll of four-letter words, dude, okay? I guarantee this is the first time anybody's ever played this on the radio. There <laughs> we go. Okay? This... I loved this song, and Jeff Barton, who was the kind of the main guy at Sounds and Kerrang, he championed this bank. Just listen to this riff. Is that kind of a crash and burn going on right now? Yeah, it's just kind of like a little bit of an intro thing right, happening. Right. But wait till you hear this riff. Total basic, but banging heavy metal. Listen. And then the, the lyrics, rock and roll of four-letter words. That's the chorus. Listen. <laughs> It's kind of like an early priest type thing. Yeah. Where are they from? This is a, somewhere in England. This is the chorus. Listen. <laughs> Rock and roll a fall out of words. words. <laughs> Listen to this guitar solo that comes in before the second verse. Oh, you just got text. That's got some okay. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> that is like Nawabum defined right there, that mid-tempo, like you say, yes. Judas Priest kind of shocking guitars, you know what I mean? It's reminding me of something else, too, and I can't place it. A lot of bands from that era kind of sounded like that. Yeah. So, I mean talk about obscure they yeah. had one song they didn't even have a single there was no b-side well about a million people just heard that song i'm telling you so that, that there you go the silver wing reunion is happening <laughs> dude this has been great man i know you got lots of stuff to do we'll have to do a part two of just talking you know about what metal. i i could sit here and talk to you all day oh, this is like this is so awesome just having a conversation let's uh you know how we said six months ago we we're gonna do this yeah let's do another handshake on let's do this again we will for sure I absolutely Lars, awesome. thank you so much man thanks for having me i'm happy for you too dude you guys have been killing it and i'm proud of you and uh thanks for all the support and thanks Always. to Silverwing for uh rock and roll is a four-letter word damn fucking right <laughs> not only is it a four-letter word rock and roll are four-letter words in plural boys <laughs> Two and girls of them. there you go all right over and out <laughs> all right thanks to lars Ulrich. i got him man i'm so excited uh, what a great interview lars texted me afterwards and said they had a great time doing this interview i hope you had a great time listening to it it was a huge coup for us to get Lars here on Talk is Jericho. And remember, Metallica's 2017 world tour in support of the new Hardwired to Self-Destruct album continues in January. They're going to South Korea and China. They're headlining Rock on the Range in the United States in May. And the North American tour is coming this summer. It's going to be huge. Trust me when I tell you that. Keep an eye on Metallica.com or follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Metallica. Thanks to Lars for taking the time for all of us on Talk is Jericho. Had a great time. Got some good tips on obscure metal bands. Uh, Silverwing. I need a Silverwing uh, t-shirt or a hollow ground t-shirt. Jaguar. I look forward to having him back. You heard it here. Lars wants to do it again. I think he had a great time as well. He's always been very cool to me. I'm a big fan of Lars. I love Metallica, one of my favorite bands. I've got the Justice for All uh, Justice Lady tattooed on my arm. Uh, 
it's always cool to when you meet your heroes and they're and they're good guys. And I've known Lars for years, and I want to thank him for doing uh, Talk is Jericho. And in tribute, I'm going to uh, uh, give you some more information in the voice of Lars Ulrich, because as you know from the Jim Brewer show, I do a great Lars imitation. So, uh, all right, Beyond the Darkness premiered on the Jericho Network at Podcast One on Monday. It's a tremendous first episode, all about the Black Eyed Kids. Talk about creepy, scary fun. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis delivered a heck of an episode. And if you're into the paranormal, ghosts, aliens, and UFOs, then this is the best podcast for you. They're releasing new episodes every Monday. So get to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, leave them a five-star rating and a couple of comments. Get me on the darkness to the top of the iTunes charts. So excited to have them on the on the Jericho Network. It's something we've never had before. And while you're there, go to hit subscribe on the other Jericho Network shows as well. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, other shows, the hilarious Team Tiger Awesome Show, pop culture humor at its finest with Nick Money, Truly Engage. New episodes come out every Sunday. My latest favorite was the creative Star Wars character, Crap Dude Fighter. Go check it out. And then, of course, Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus drops on Tuesdays. Get your PhD in wrestling with two of the most brilliant minds in pro wrestling. Great discussion of today's biz. They have a great discussion this week on whether comedy and wrestling is a good thing or a bad thing. And also, Cyrus is really uh, getting on Disco Inferno's case. they got a really uh, serious feud going, Killing the Town versus Keeping It 100 with Conan every Thursday, the flagship show of the Jericho Network. Conan, uh, Kevin, Kevin Gill, and, of course, Disco Inferno. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to end with Cyrus and Disco, but check out both shows to hear the feud, the biggest podcast feud in the nation uh, coming down at you. So, so, so go subscribe on iTunes. Give everyone on the Jericho Network a five-star rating and review. And a big thanks to all of you for supporting the Talk is Jericho sponsors. I couldn't do this without them or you. And that includes the OG sponsor, Amazon. You can find my Amazon links at podcastone.com. Click on the Killer Deals button, the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada. Every time you use them links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of the show to help us cover production costs. You can buy anything you can think of on Amazon, and using them links won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra charges. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, and then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All my other sponsors are there as well. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get 25% off all DDPY merch, and then when you buy a Max Pack or a Combo Pack, you'll get a second one for 50% off of the price that's already been dropped 25%. That's the biggest deal you're going to get, man. Go check that out. It's, it's a great way to get in shape physically and mentally. Trust me. I can tell you by experience. I can also tell you by experience that books.com saved my rear end a couple times when they sent flowers to my wife after I forgot about her birthday. Uh, that's books.com. They got your back. And it can help you out as well. Use my promo code Jericho. You get 15 bucks off of $60 pouches. Then there's Bowl and Branch. Go to bowlandbranch.com and use the promo code Jericho to get $50 off your first set of sheets. And you got 30 days to try them. If you don't like them, you send them back. Money back guaranteed. All right. And don't forget March 15, 2017. I had a big brouhaha with him this week. He stuck me in a shark cage. But that still doesn't mean it's not going to be the biggest, biggest podcast ever with Mick Foley when he joins Talk is Jericho for the first time, 80 days and counting. So I'm looking forward to all of you checking that out and listening to that show. And thank you for listening to this show. And keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next and coming up Friday. It's something different. I think you're going to love it, though. It's the power of music with Seth and Sammy. That's right, Seth Rollins and Sammy Zayn talking about rock and roll, what rock and roll means to them. All three of us are massive music fans talking a full-on in-depth musical discussion, first concerts, favorite bands, the Beatles, Metallica, meeting our musical heroes, so much more. It's the power of music with Seth and Sammy on Talk is Jericho this Friday, the last show before Christmas. This is a present to you 
Lars today, Seth and Sam on Friday. Who brings you the biggest guests? Who's your boy? Who's your friend? That's me. Yeah, that's me. I'll see you on Friday. In the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll see you on Friday. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.